This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Manage Smarter Show is brought to you by SalesCred, the sales skill building solution that empowers sales teams worldwide to multiply sales opportunities by improving perception, accelerating trust building, and by earning repeat business. Get the best-selling book by C. Lee Smith, download the free mobile app, and now sign up for the SalesCred Masterclasses. Book your session now at salescred.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Lee, you have identified a problem. You think you have something that's a solution, but how do you make it the solution, your solution? And that translates into category design. And that's what we're going to talk about today, right? Yeah, that, that's right. And we're going to be talking about uh, some of the hottest topics in technology right now and, and how that fits into you know, becoming a category king by defining the category yourself, as opposed to letting someone else dictate the rules of the battlefield and you having to play by somebody else's rules. And boy, do we have an excellent guest today. Welcome to Manage Smarter, everyone. Thanks for coming. We're so glad you're here. I'm Audrey Strong, Vice President of Communications here at SalesFuel. And I'm Celie Smith. I am the president and founder of SalesFuel. Okay, up on deck in our batter's box, Kevin Maney, best-selling author, award-winning columnist, and a partner at Category Design Advisors. His critically acclaimed book, Play Bigger, How Pirates, Dreamers, and Innovators Create and Dominate Markets, introduced business to the idea of category design, sold more than 150,000 copies worldwide, and as a founding partner of CDA, Maney has helped leadership teams at hundreds of companies all over the world focus their strategic thinking through category design. And I, as a former uh, award-winning journalist, would like to also share his journalism career with you because it makes mine look like like itty-bitty, teeny-weeny. <laughs> uh, Kevin has been a contributor to Newsweek, Fortune, The Atlantic, Fast Company, CNN, and ABC News, among other media outlets. Also a contributing editor at Condé Nast Portfolio from 2007 to 2009. And get this, for 22 years, Columnist, editor, and reporter at USA Today, and I might add, even interviewed Mr. Jeff Bezos very early in the days of Amazon. Kevin, I don't even know where to start with you. It's, you're so amazing. Welcome. <laughs> Audrey and Lee, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. So I think one of the hot, hot categories that Lee wanted to talk about was artificial intelligence and people sort of carving into that category. But that's fraught with all kinds of peril. Um, so where did you want to start with Silicon Valley? Yeah, we're we're pretty much in the wild, wild west of that right now. So this, this is, has a category King been defined in in that area yet? Oh, absolutely not. Um, absolutely not. (laughs) And, and, and by the way, um, uh, I'm not even sure. I mean, AI is an enabling technology in the sense that the internet or, uh, you know, um, computing it's, it's, I wouldn't even call it a category. I mean, a category is a product or service that solves a particular problem. Um, and um, and so obviously many companies now are 
trying to line up and figure out how to use this powerful technology to solve some new problems or solve some old, you know, old problems in ways that could never be solved before. And that will create brand new and exciting categories. But um, this idea that there's this, this enabling tech, I mean, I think of, I think of AI as we see it today as like the birth of the internet. I mean, it's, it's a, it's an enabling technology that many Mm -hmm. things are going to get built on. So what will it be ultimately when it splits into a hundred categories, it would be AI applied for writing, AI applied for frozen food industry, AI, you know, like super niche. Or even to think of it another, even to think of it another way, it's, it's it's electricity. I mean, you know, we don't think of, Uh. you know, we don't think of uh, there's, you know, this electricity applied. I mean, it's, you know, electricity was a transformative technology that changed what, um, you know, many different things can do and created new categories of products and services out of it. And that's what AI is. I mean, it's, it's this era's electricity. You know, it, it's AI is a classic case of one of those gradually and then suddenly kind of thing, because we've been all working with AI for a while. Uh, and many people didn't even know it. I mean, if you use Grammarly, for example, you've been using AI, you didn't even know it. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, when I'm driving my Tesla, it's like they've been working on trying to make that car drive itself for years. It's like, and still we're in the gradually phase. It's not happening soon enough for me. And so chat GBT is getting like all the press and all the buzz and everything like that. So I think that's the suddenly part. But when I think about that, here's my question. It's mm-hmm. like, it looked to me like for the longest time that IBM Watson, you know, was poised to be like the king of AI. I mean, I remember, you know, seeing a 60 Minutes report years ago about how they were turning that thing loose to try to come up with cures for cancer using AI and everything like that. Why does nobody talk about them anymore? You know, it's interesting. Yeah, it's actually something I've been thinking about and 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 talking to some of my old IBM, col- uh, you know, not colleagues, old IBM connections uh, about. Um, and filtering it through the category design thinking um, that we do. So, uh, and you're right. I mean, IBM, IBM should have been able to own this conversation. And, um, and I, I believe that one of the reasons that it didn't is because it, it did not create a category. It created a product and it hoped we would figure out what it works for, what it does, what it, what it mm. means to us. Um, you know, classic, I mean, in a very simple way, classic category design is thinking outside in, right? And, and finding the problem in the world that needs to be solved um, that hasn't been solved or, or that you, an old problem you can solve in a new way. Um, and, and defining what that problem is, defining how, uh, defining how this new technology can, can solve that problem and creating in people's minds this new space, this new thing that I want because, or, or, you know, that I understand society needs because it's so, um, and, and IBM went about it the opposite way. It created a product and in search of a solution or in search of a problem. And, and, um, and in fact, uh, even when it, even when it tried to find a a problem that Watson would solve, um, it, it um, you know in something like cancer research or something like that, it was a problem that was pretty much hidden from the view from the general public, so people didn't even see it in action. People didn't yeah, and and just never established that category. And so, I mean, one thing I would tell your your listeners is um, that uh, it, it is often a much better strategy to try to sell the category first 
and then your product as a solution to that category, rather than going out and saying, here's my thing. It's wonderful. Figure out what to do with it. I mean, that's, which is what a lot of companies actually lesson. do. Yeah. yeah. It's like when I go to the hardware store, I look at all that stuff and I have, I don't have no idea how that works or what to do with it. Right. Right. <laughs> Let me hop on YouTube and figure that out. I don't know. <laughs> so that's a good lesson. So in, in your context of covering tech for so long, um, and you know, we're all of a certain age, <clears throat> you know, I won't say well, but we're, I got the gray hair up here. Three to of us were experienced living pre-internet and post-internet. Right. And so, is is AI right now in like what stage of it in your mind is it? And then I have a follow-up question. But where are we right now? You know, I, I, honestly, the, so knowing you know that you guys have lived through some of this too. Um, I was, you know, in the middle of writing about and reporting on and writing a book about it and all this stuff um, in uh, 1993, 94, 95, when the, the consumer internet was essentially born and exploded. Yeah. Um, and and um, this moment in time feels an awful lot like that. Um, there's Here's this new technology. It's obviously, it's got like, it's kind of amazing. It's like magic. Um, what's it going to mean? What's it going to do? Everybody's guessing. Um, I, I was fortunate. I mean, like total luck. Um, I, I, because of what I've been reporting on in, at USA Today in the early nineties, I ended up writing a book. My first book was called mega media shakeout. And it was about, um, it was about what happens when, uh, when, uh, you know, all content becomes digital and it was something that was new, a new idea at the time. And it actually came out in, um, in uh, April 1995, and mm-hmm. uh, it was the first book that was out that had you know anything to do with any of this. And it's not a, that's why I launched my first website. And it, it's not a, it's a month not and a, day. Yeah, you know the book is it's no it's no great shakes this book, but the thing was that I got a taste of I got invited to boardrooms and to you know five thousand person speaking engagement because everybody just was grabbing for anybody who like might know something about what this thing was going to become. Yeah. And it feels a lot like that right now. It, it reminds me of, uh, of one of your former employers, and I won't say the name uh, to protect the guilty, but the CEO <laughs> basically was quoted in one of the trade magazines, the media trade magazines, trashing the internet. I actually have a copy of that just, just to keep, to remind me myself of, you know, not to be so quick to judge, but trashing that there'd be no use for the internet, that it was all hype and everything like that. Yeah, because they were old media and they had, you know, quite a quite a business built up with, with old media. And so they just didn't want to believe it. And lo and behold, or whatever, they've been swallowed by it. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. You know, I kind of feel the same way as kind of where we're at with AI right now. It's just, the, you know, it's just the tip of the iceberg, but, but we're getting there. And with that in mind, uh, my follow-up question is like, are we to a point where government has to start thinking about how to regulate this stuff? Uh, well, yeah, yes. Um, and uh, and um, so the, the previous, the last book that I had published, I have had this writing partnership for like eight years now with Hamant Tanasia, who's the mm-hmm. CEO of General Catalyst. And we published a book uh, in early 2022 called Intended Consequences, which is a this idea of responsible innovation and how to, and especially pointed at AI, but we're also also inventing a lot of like really powerful technologies right now around the corner somewhere is quantum computing. And maybe if we're lucky in 20 or 30 years, there's, you know, like, you know, fusion uh, energy and, um, and, uh, and, and 
there's a there's a responsibility on on government not only governments but on you know companies and and investors and uh, you know and, and and inventors themselves to be responsible in a way we've never had to be before because this stuff is potentially dangerous and powerful and and um i'm i'm not a big fan of uh, what's happened with these early um uh, internet generative internet products where um the the uh the opening eyes of the world have just released something on us without really knowing what it's going to do and not really having any guardrails or taking any responsibility for it and and i think it's dangerous um you know this whole idea of minimum viable product or whatever else is bullshit yeah. because you know like what can you name another product another thing in the world uh, drug companies or car makers or you know dynamite food, 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 <laughs> you know food makers like you know is 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 uh, uh some company that makes food going to release a minimum viable version of food and hope that people don't get sick i mean we you know it's it's crazy how this is not being uh you know even you know putting guardrails around it at all pharmaceutical products without you know without trials yeah, yeah can what, you imagine that's what that? it is that's yeah. what it is that's what it is your colleague wrote in the washington post I, I love this paragraph and sent it to lee the and the internet's like this too it has the capacity and scale to spread all our human failings disregard civil liberties perpetuate racism cast an inequality i mean one need only watch that congressional hearing with general counsel gaddy from twitter to see that you know this thing was created and it just mutated into this yeah. awful just went in a direction that was so wild and unintended. And you like to talk about categories and making sure that as much as you can for your clients, that there are not unintended consequences. And so how do you shape that and try and predict that? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's going to be, and I mean, that's a tough question because it is going to be up mm -hmm. to, um, you know, regulators and, and, you know, policymakers. I mean, they're going to have to figure this out because obviously the industry is not doing it by itself. Can I um I, I want to uh, tell your listeners something because you were talking about this whole idea of you know all these new exploding categories and some something that would will be interesting to watch for um, as all this happens. So um, one of the uh, you know one of the um, works that has influenced a lot about my thinking about you know how categories work and how to you know talk to companies about that was this economist um, named Paul Gorosky. Um, G-E-R-O-S-K-I. And he wrote this book called The Evolution of New Markets. And he used a big data sets to understand, try to understand the patterns that categories have. Um, and uh, and so um, there's, I'm going to try to do this without having a graphic in front of me. Oh, okay. to explain this. <laughs> so he had this very elegant little chart that came, that it came out of it um, that seemed to apply to category after category. And I'm going to use um, I'm going to use an example that we all live through is um, so think of smartphones, and and so mm -hmm. for um, quite a number of years uh, there were all of these different smartphones that, like there were Blackberries and there were Nokia's and there were Motorola's or whatever and there's like five different operating systems and you know in all sorts of different ways they worked some had keypads some it didn't all this kind of stuff right. So what happens when in in these new categories is um, it, in the very beginning there's just you know a couple of maybe inventions and when every other, everybody else sees that this is like wow that's really something there's so, one of these days we're all going to have phones in our pockets that can access the internet or whatever so lots of companies pile in so if you think 
um, of a curve that kind of goes upward as the number of people, number of companies that are are piling into a new category, all with somewhat different designs and different versions of mm-hmm. what that thing is going to be. At the same time as that's happening, um, the uh, if you picture another line that's barely moving along that timeline, because and that line represents users. Most of the people who are going to do, uh, um, buy into that stuff are, are pretty much early adopters. And the number of users kind of flatlines during that whole period of time that all these companies are trying all these different designs. So what Garofsky points out is that somewhere down the line, um, uh, something emerges that he called the dominant design. Now, if you, if you think of the smartphone example, that moment was 2007 when Apple introduced the iPhone. And and in that moment, the world pretty much decided, like, that's what a smartphone should be. And, and, and so when that moment of dominant design happens, um, everything coalesces around it. So all of the, and, and you can see this, right? What happened, all those smartphone vendors, they all, they all basically either die or they copy the dominant design. Mm-hmm. Um, because now every phone you buy from any maker looks exactly like what an mm-hmm. iPhone. Except BlackBerry stuck stuck stubbornly to that damn keyboard. I love my look, look where that got them, right? Yeah, exactly. I love my BlackBerry. I liked having a keyboard. Okay, anyway. So the 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 number of the number of um, companies dies because the dominant design took over, and that's also when that dominant design thing happens. That's when all of us get comfortable. We believe that this thing is going to be around. This is the version of it. We understand now how it works. And so the number of users like takes off the lines cross. So um, it, you asked me before about where we are with, you know, there's a category king or whatever. And that, basically that dominant design, that's, that's another word for that's the category king. That's the category winner, right? And um, so my answer to that would be that this whole universe of what's going to happen with AI and the chat GPT kinds of things, whatever, is is way over on that left side in that day one. Um, and what we're going to see over the next four or five years is a million companies p- piling into there, all trying to do different th- you know, um, versions of trying to solve the same problem with different ways. And, and, a lo- and, and while there's going to be a lot of us who you know, want to try these things, for the most part, the public's going to you know, going to watch and and sit on the sidelines until that dominant design emerges as something that really works and solves a problem, and we understand how it works, and that's when we're all going to buy it. So I think we're, you know, I think we're that good four, five, six years away from um, oh, wow. some of these AI categories to truly um, land on a dominant design and and win the broad, you know, the broad market, whether it's B two B or B two C. I have a theory that you know, early on, wherever fear is a big deal, because I remember with the smartphones, oh, you're holding that phone up to your ear, whatever, you're going to get brain cancer. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, or you're trying to drive an electric car. Okay, well, you can't go more than 100 miles for it runs out of juice. What happens if you're stranded? Or And now with AI, it's everyone's kind of fearful of, am I going to lose my job? And right. so it, it, since we're in that state uh if you accept that premise, it's like, how can managers uh, of people move the conversation from fear of losing your job to, hey, how can you use this tool to do your job better, faster, and easier? Well, that, I mean, that is that is the conversation that has to happen. In fact, you know, I think like, so there was, I don't, here in New York City, um, the New York public schools banned students from using chat GPT. And, and 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 I think that's like one of the stupidest decisions ever, <laughs> because, because instead, what you want to do is teach students 
what this thing is, what it's good for, how to use it, how not to use it. Um, and, and because their futures, their futures are going to depend on using this stuff. Um, and so, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, we, we, we have to, you know, we have to have that conversation. And by the way, part of that conversation can also be that um, this sense of fear over a new technology is as old as, you know, the Bible, right? And um, I, like, you know, one of the one of the books I, I wrote was um, about Thomas Watson Sr., the guy who built IBM. It was his biography. So I wrote, you know, from basically 1900 to 1956 when he died, this whole period of time when the whole, you know, computing industry actually was born. And, you know, going back to the 1930s and 40s, when the first idea of computers started coming up, people were saying these things are going to take, you know, the same whole thing, take away yes. jobs, it's going to, you know, it's going to ruin, you know, whole industry. And, you know, and and we we adapt and we move on. It doesn't, it's not the way things have, have worked in the past. And I'm not sure it's going to not be the way it works in the future. Do you have any tips for managers who have direct reports and helping get those people to buy in um, when they're participating in a company that's rolling out a new category or embracing new technology? Is it a professional development opportunity? You try and sign people up for courses? Like what's the way you think is the best way to get everybody aligned in the mindset? Um, well, so when, when, when we were- tell your clients? When we work with, um, with, with companies on this, on category design projects, the most important single thing that we produce is something we call a POV, you know, point of view, and uh, uh, you know, not a very original name for it, but it's. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, so we go through this whole process with clients and 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 figure out like you know what are they, you know, what is the category they're really creating? What's the problem they're really solving? Um, you know, uh, what's you know what's why are they the one company in the world that can be bring this to the world? And you know, we got th go through all that kind of you know pull it all out of them, and then we cap capture it in this maybe eight hundred word um, narrative, and and the narrative is very structured. It's basically the first half of it is let's really describe the problem to be solved. What's missing in the world that needs to exist that you're going to address, and and if we really understand the problem, then the solution side is like, how does that solution work to, to solve that problem? Not your product features, not the fact that your dial goes to 11 and somebody else's goes to 10. It's it's um, it's like, what does any kind of solution need to be, look like in today's world to solve that problem? And then at the very end, you can, we could say, and here's why we're the company that can, you know, that has the, the wherewithal, the brains, the culture, whatever to solve this problem. But if you if you have this really strong, eight hundred word, thousand word narrative that really tells that story, and creates the story that the company tells itself, um, you know, all 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 cultures of all kinds have a story they tell themselves about who they are and why they exist and and you know what is expected of them. So you create this story that the company tells itself, and if it's if it's got a liner from the leadership team and everybody buys in and everybody believes this is this is what we are, it becomes much easier and not necessarily going to give that story to every single person. But now you have the language and the story to to, mm -hmm. um, to tell and build that culture around. And uh, and we found that it's a very powerful it, it, it tells because because of the way that story is structured, the product team can look at it and say, now I understand what we're doing. Now I understand our North Star for the product, what we have to build. The sales team can look at it and say, now I, I understand how we're going to talk about this to our potential customers. 
Um, even the HR team can look at this and put it in job descriptions to say, these are the kinds of people we want to lure that understand what this is about, what this culture is about. So I don't think there's, you know, in the experience that I've had, there's no more powerful way to do that than to actually capture that in writing um, and, and in a way that that um, has everybody that, you know, is on the leadership team aboard with that thing. Mm-hmm. And, and then it spreads from there. You know, it's just a look no further than any major religion in the world. They all have stories that that you know, I, that that share the identity of who they are and why they believe what they believe. Exactly. And so it's like you know, what's your Bible? What you know? What's your story? You know, what's your prophecy? And you know, so I, to me, I kind of feel like that's kind of what's missing from the newer technologies. Like you know, what's the big revelation from cryptocurrency or or with AI or some of these other things, because like, I haven't seen where someone could tell one great big story about how this this has totally made the world, changed the world for the better. I haven't seen it yet. Right. No, I, and I, I, I agree. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, crypto, I just keep saying every time I see a headline, I'm like, I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> um, listen, if you need category design, category design advisor is Kevin's firm. And Kevin, you'd like people to reach out to you, your Twitter, Kmaney, and you want people to email you, hit the website up. Absolutely. Yeah. Any of that. Uh, yeah. Kevin at CategoryDesignAdvisors.com. Pretty straight. We'll put it in the show notes for you. <laughs> that sounds good. And if you're in New York City, he has a band, everybody. And tell me the name of the band name again. I love the name of it, but tell me the, the name of the band. The band is called Total Blam Blam, which is which is taken from a David Bowie uh, well, a lyric in the song Suffragette City. Uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, we play, we play, you know, uh, once a month or so at some club in New York. So we have a Facebook page. You can look us up and there you go. Come, come, <laughs> all right, come so on. Cheer us on. What genre of music is that? It's it's all basically rock, funk, blues kind of stuff. Nice. That sounds great. Well, if you need rock and roll or category design, Kevin, <laughs> your guy. Kevin, this is great. I could talk to you all day. Thank you so much. So it was interesting. A pleasure. Yeah, very fun. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.